You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Well, you've got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5 by now. And as Ben said, we are starting a new series entitled, This is Love. And I have no idea how I'm supposed to follow that video because some of you are still thinking about the chicken dance. Um, As a matter of fact, I am. Okay, I'm done with that. Now, uh, as we jump into this topic, I've already told you the title of the message is When Sex Kills Love. Now, before we jump into the scripture here, I just want to talk to different people that are in the room right now. And if you would allow me, I, I, need, to, I need to sit down here at, at just, just across um, the table here, uh, as if I am at your dinner table or maybe we're at Starbucks here, because there's different people in the room that are going to hear this message differently. And for some of you, what you need to hear in this message is a word of comfort and a word of grace. No matter what you have done sexually, and no matter what has been done to you sexually, here's what you need to hear. Your sin is forgivable, and God can extend grace to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you may need to hear a word of comfort this morning. But there are others of you here, and what you need to hear is a word of warning. Because what you are currently doing with sex is harmful. It's harmful to you. It is harmful to the person that you're engaged with. And it is harmful to your relationship with God. And you need to hear a strong warning this morning as we open God's Word. There's others of you here today, and I've thought a lot about you. You are not married. And you are trying to do it right. And what you need to hear is a word of congratulations and a word of encouragement and a word, don't give up the battle for sexual purity. If you're doing it right, way to go. Hang in there. There is nothing really outside of these walls that is doing you any favors in getting this right. And if you're here as a young person, you're unmarried, then I want you to hear from God's Word, way to go. You're doing it right here this morning, okay? Now, before we even open the Scripture here, do, is there anybody here that kind of questions what the Bible actually says about sex? Do I really need to go into this at all? Does everybody understand just kind of the overarching, if you want to know what God thinks about sex, here it is in a statement. Um, God reserves sex for married people. Is that a newsflash to anybody? Does everybody kind of understand that's kind of what the Bible says about sex? God reserves sex for, for married people. That's probably not a shock to you, especially if you grew up in a church, grew up in reading your Bible. But, but have you ever stopped long enough to ask the question, why? Well, we're going to try to answer some of those questions. And part of the answer is this. God has designed sex to be so powerful that it will either ignite love and secure love or your your sex can actually kill love because God has designed sex so powerful. Listen, sex is God's idea. Before there are any prohibitions on sex or, or any restrictions on sex, God said sex 
is my idea. I mean, God could have created babies any way He wanted to. He could have taken a piece of earwax out of you and an earwax out of your partner, smashed them together and created a baby or hatched them in eggs. I don't know. But, but God created this very powerful, beautiful, wonderful thing called sex. It was His idea. And sex is not a four-letter word. God created this beautiful thing. And God wants you to experience both love and sex exactly the way that He intended it. And yet, if you don't understand God's view of sex or love, quite likely you will kill both. And you'll forfeit the very thing that God wanted you to experience in all of its wonder and beauty and power. So we're going to look at it here and dive into the Scripture here. What we're going to look at are seven ways that sex kills love when you don't do it God's way. And we're going to see all of them right here in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at seven verses here this morning. We're going to look at the first two verses of Ephesians 5, which are on the topic of love, and then the next five verses that are on the topic of sex, because you can't understand one without the other. So Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Here it says, Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here's the first way sex kills love. Sex kills love when you reduce love to a feeling. Sex kills love when love is reduced to a feeling. We see it here that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. And then we're commanded in verse 2 to walk in love. Now before we can understand those, we have to understand what love is and what love is not. Now if you take your definitions from modern music lyrics, you're going to be confused about... Love, because love is more than a feeling. Does anybody feel the need to just break into song right now, okay? I mean, if you're taking your definitions of love from Taylor Swift songs, you're, you're going to have a train wreck, okay? So we need to understand that love is something more than a feeling. Love, we know that love is more than a feeling because in verse 2, we're commanded to love. Do you know what the assumption is? There are going to be some times you don't feel like loving. That's when you need the command. It's commanded because it's assumed you're not always going to feel it. So love's not a feeling. Yeah, I hear young people talk about how, oh, you know, I'm, I, I have fallen in love. You know, it's like they're smitten. It's like there's this gravitational pull on them. It's pulling them down, falling. I, I try to tell young people, it's like, listen, you don't fall in love. You fall into holes. You fall into ditches. You fall into drainage ditches. You fall into dog poo when you're, when you're playing backyard football. But you don't fall in love, all right? You're acting like, I didn't have anything to do with it. I walked in a room and I was sweating. Cupid, Cupid had the arrow pointed at me. And it's like, I just, I couldn't help myself. Wrong. And couples break up. You ever, you ever known a couple break up when, you know, 24 hours earlier they were all googly-eyed at each other and stuck to one another and slobbering all over each other? And, or even married couples have been together for 25 years and they break up. It's like, what happened? Well, somewhere along the way we just fell out of love. 
You don't fall out of love. You fall out of trees. You, you fall out of bed. You fall out of pickups. I mean, you don't, you don't fall in and out of love, all right? Love is a choice because you have to choose to love and walk in love when sometimes you don't feel like it. Another mistake about love is, is we think love is somehow related to sexual attraction. Listen, I, as a, as a male, am attracted to people that I am not in love with. And every man in and every woman in here is. Sexual attraction is not love. Now, one of the things that's interesting to know about the word love, even in this text of Scripture, when you read the word love in the English translation here, you need to understand that behind that English translation of the word love are three different Greek words that were all translated into our one word, love. One of those words is the Greek word eros. It's the word that we get our English word erotic from. Does that give you a hint as to what kind of love that is? Let's talk about a sexual attraction, which is not a bad thing. Say that is not a bad thing in the context of covenant marriage. And so the problem is, is our culture has reduced all love down to sexual attraction. There's another Greek word. It's the word philos. It's the word that we get our name of our city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. See, there's a different kind of love that brothers have for one another. Um, in this week, I'm going to get on a plane here this afternoon. I'm going to go out to Phoenix, and I'm going to be surrounded for three days with our Harvest Senior Pastors from all over the country. We all get together once a year, and we just... And you know what's going to happen in there? We are going to love one another. And, and yet, do you understand it is a very healthy thing for two men to love one another? And yet, in our culture, when you talk about two men loving one another... Somehow we think that has to do with sexual attraction. There's a difference between eros, erotic love, philos, brotherly love, and then there's one other one. It's the word agape. That's the one used here, and that is how God loves. First John chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible actually says God is love. And so if God is love, don't you think He would have the right to define what it means? And so God says that we're to be imitators of His love. And so in our horizontal relationships with one another, we're to imitate His love. And then it says here at the end of verse 1, it says, As beloved children, sex kills love, when you substitute sex for love because you are looking for love, and in exchange for feeling a moment of love, you're willing to give sexual favor. Listen, you will stop looking for love when you understand you are already loved. We are to imitate God's love as beloved children. I will stop looking for love as a way to be loved. I will love because I'm already loved as a beloved child. 
And so sex kills love when love's reduced to a feeling. So there's got to be more to it. Here's the second point. Sex kills love when love is self-serving. I want you to look here in verse 2. It says, walk in love. And then he describes how Christ has loved us. As Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. So real love, according to this passage, is an act of the will. We know that because God sent Christ as an act of his will to love us. We know it had to be an act of the will because is there anything in you that would attract God to you? No. You were deserving of none of his love because you declared war on God and acted independent of God, loving yourself. And so as an act of God's will, he had to send Christ to love you while you were unlovable. And do you know what he says? Imitate that in your relationships. Be an imitator of God. Love somebody that's not always lovable. That's what Christ did as Christ loved us. Real love is an act of the will. Secondly, real love gives. Look at it. It says, Christ gave himself up for us. You see, when you become an imitator of God, you give rather than take. But sex kills love when you use sex to take from somebody else for your own personal gratification. But when you imitate God's love, do you know what you give up? You give up rights. You give up comforts. And you give up independence. Isn't that what Christ did? He left the comforts of heaven. He left the right to receive all glory. And He came to where I was. He even gave up His independence. He subjected Himself to human hands. And when we love, what do we do? We give up independence. Now we're interdependent upon one another as an act of love. We're going to work together instead of me somehow lording it over you. And so real love gives. Also, real love sacrifices. Do you see it? He was a sacrifice to God. That means that you lose a part of yourself every time you choose to love. Every time you choose to love, you're choosing to pay a price. You're choosing to lose your desires, lose your preferences, lose your pre pleasures in order to put your the ob put to love the object of your love. So real love sacrifices. Real love justifies. Do you see the phrase there? He was a fragrant offering. Isn't that interesting? He, was a, he became a sweet-smelling fragrance to God the Father. You see what was happening as Christ was dying upon that cross? Do you know what He was doing? He was absorbing all of your stinkiness. And yet, as he absorbed it, he transformed it into something that was pleasurable to God. Do you know what you do when you love somebody? You love somebody that's got a little stink to them. And you absorb their stink because you love them and you change it, you exchange it so that that becomes something pleasant. It justifies, it transforms. How many of you that understand salvation 
understand how we become right with God. Do you understand, we've taught this around here so often, that we are justified by faith alone apart from works. Do you believe that? How many of you believe that? We're justified by faith alone apart from works. Question for those of you that are married. If you really believe that you are justified by faith alone apart from works, why do you insist that your spouse be justified by works? You know why? Because you're making love self-serving. Instead of treating them better than they deserve, instead of covering sin, we count their sin against them. Not Christ. What does He do to love us? He justifies. And He turns stinkiness into something pleasant, something that smells better than it actually is. That's what love, real love, does. Here's the third thing. Sex kills love when sex is detached from covenant marriage. Look at verse 3. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. You see, there is a whole junk drawer of sexual activity that is off limits for saints. And it basically is all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage. That includes lust. That includes pornography. That includes immorality, fornication, adultery, rape, polygamy, prostitution, friends with benefits, pedophilia, incest, bisexuality, or homosexuality. Any sexual activity outside of covenant marriage is off limits for those that have submitted themselves to Christ. Why? Because God wants you to walk in love. God has given sex as a vehicle for two married people to walk in love. But when two people who are not married engage in any sexual activity, you don't walk in love, you walk on love. And you kill love. And so God has reserved sexual activity for those in covenant marriage. What, what is covenant marriage? The big word, theological word, covenant, what does that mean? It simply means that because love is hard to measure and define, you know, is, is it a feeling, what is it? God says we need something on record to know when two people are establishing covenant love because it's supposed to be exclusive with one person for one lifetime, right? And so there's the covenant. And we go to a lot of trouble to declare the covenant. We file paperwork down at the courthouse. And we invite everybody we've ever known. And serve cake. And spend thousands of dollars and get dressed up. And, and all for the purpose of hearing this exchange of promises. We buy precious metals and put them on body parts to announce to the world... I belong to someone. That is covenant marriage. And it is 
in that context that God says, enjoy all of it. Um, last Sunday afternoon, I began uh, research on this particular sermon. As a matter of fact, all week long, I've been doing research on this particular subject. You see, um, in June, I'm going to turn 50. I thought there would be gasp at that particular moment. That You were not impressed by that? I'm going to have my 50th birthday. And a few weeks ago, Andrea asked me, she's like, I want to make this special. I want to do something. we got to have some big party or something. What do you want to do? What do you want a big present? What do you want? And I'm like, I don't want anything like that. She's like, oh, come on. There's got to be something. Well, I, I had heard uh, this organization that Andrea and I speak with, Family Life, which we go do weekend to remember marriage getaways for couples, and we're doing one very soon in, in Kalamazoo. If you want to come, uh, come with us last uh, weekend in March and first weekend in, in April. If you want to come with us up in Kalamazoo, that'd be great. Anyway, we, we speak for this conference, this, this organization, but they also, Family Life, hosts a cruise. What they do is they lease a carnival cruise ship, and everybody on the boat is married. And the purpose of the whole cruise is to celebrate marriage and build marriage. And so there's, there's sessions and teaching. And, and so here's the deal. Uh, we've never gone on this cruise, really never thought we would, never, never, never really made arrangements. But a couple weeks ago, Andrea said, what do you want to do? I'm like, ah, it'd be cool someday to go on that. The next day, Bob Lapine walks up to Andrea and says, hey, if you can get to New Orleans, I can get you on the boat. Really? So... Um, I said, that'd be a great place to do research on this particular topic. So Andrea and I, last Sunday, we flew down to New Orleans, we got on the boat, and we have been on the boat all week long, got back at 10 o'clock last night, and we've been doing research. And, and in the middle of, in, on the, middle of the, the Gulf of Mexico, um, I had this thought. You know what? I suspect there is some sexual activity going on on this boat. 3,000 married, married couples committed to covenant marriage. Believers putting themselves under the teaching of Scripture. This is incredible. And I also had this thought. You know what? There may not be any sexual sin within hundreds of miles of this boat. Where else on the planet could that be occurring? You have sexual activity without sexual sin. That's covenant marriage. And the reason why God reserves sex for marriage is because sex is so powerful. You should never give yourself to someone sexually who is unwilling to give themselves to you emotionally, socially, economically, legally, spiritually, permanently and exclusively. And when you do, sex kills love. And so God has designed sex as this incredibly powerful adhesive. Frankie and Bryn, come up here for a second. Um, this is Frankie and Bryn. Are y'all married? How long? Eight years. Do y'all have sex? No, I won't ask that. Y'all come up here. Come up here. Come up here, Frankie. Come here. Come here. Um, now, let, let me show you how this works, okay? We, we, I love this couple. They're growing in Christ. They've got a great testimony and stuff. Let me, let me show you. How many of you use duct tape to fix things? Okay? How many of you right now in your home, there is something duct taped? 
that you fixed with all of your engineering skills. You didn't get the degree from Purdue, but you got duct tape. That's all you need, right? Well, let me show you the purpose of sex and why God reserves sex for married people, because this is what sex does. is designed by God to make you stick to each other. You see, in your brain, God has put chemicals, oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine. And when you engage in sexual activity, those chemicals wash over your brain that actually stick you to the person that you are having sex with. Do you know the problem? You say, well, that's not why I use sex. I'm just having a good time. I'm just, yeah, you know what your problem is? When you take that adhesive and you plaster it to something and then you unplaster it to something, when you stick it to somebody and then you say, okay, we're going to stick it to somebody else now, and we're going to, every time you do that, what happens to the adhesive? You reduce the adhesive. And so God wants to use sex for that person purpose, but when you use it over and over, every time you stick it and unstick it to a different person, and by the way, it doesn't have to be a person. Every time you do, it loses some of its stickiness. And so here you are all of a sudden, 25 years later, like, I think it's time to get married and settle down and you try to use sex for its intended purpose, and you realize, why isn't this working the way that it should? Why, why isn't... You see, what's happened is, you've used it for its unintended purpose, and it's lost its power to make you stick. God wants you to experience in all of its power and all of its purpose. So, you appreciate this couple? All right, y'all can be dismissed. Go ahead. Oh, okay. No, no, wait a minute. All right. All right. So, so the sermon illustration's over. This is where it's never, never want this to happen. Um, but um, there, there you go. You guys can figure it out. Okay. Give them a hand. All right. Now, listen, if, if, if you are not yet married, okay, you say, but I, I have these desires and I... I, I, I want to stick to somebody and, and I, I don't... Listen, sex is reserved for that purpose, to stick you to one person for one lifetime. I want you to imagine somewhere out there, there is a place out there somewhere, there is a hotel room that one day, I assume you want to cross the threshold and enjoy some special activity with the person to whom you are forming this covenant marriage with. And um, you're going to, at some point, meet a person and, and you're going to propose marriage and you're going to buy a ring and you're going to reserve a 
church or a chapel. You're going to reserve a preacher or a pastor. You're going to reserve a cake and reserve a dress and reserve a tux. You're going to reserve, a, at some point, you're going to start planning the honeymoon. Like you're, going to, you're going to make some reservations uh, on a stateroom on a cruise or uh, a hotel room or a resort. You're going to make that reservation. Now listen, after all of the I do's have been said, after all of the pictures have been taken, you're eventually going to arrive at that hotel room where you have reserved that room. What if you get to the hotel room and they have actually given your hotel room to someone else? Would you protest? Now wait just a minute. I've been planning this for a long time. I called ahead. I reserved this room. Can I say something to you? If you're going to go to all the trouble to reserve the room because of what you want to go on in that room, could I just suggest you might want to reserve your body for that day as well? What's more important, your body or the room? God reserves sex for those in covenant marriage. Why? Because he doesn't want you to kill love with sex. Here's the fourth thing. Sex kills love when sexual sin is something I tolerate or laugh at. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Verse 4 talks about not even talking about this in a way that diminishes its value. Not even joking about this. And yet, why is it that the object of almost every stand-up comedian's material is this subject. Listen, this goes way beyond not just having sex with a person. It has to do with the way you use your mouth, the way you use your eyes, the way that you use your brain. To reserve this activity, and even in your thinking, to one person with whom you are in covenant relationship with. A couple of weeks ago, there was a man in our church that approached me and he said, hey, I got four tickets to the Notre Dame basketball game. I'm looking for people to go with, go with me. Would you come? I was like, absolutely. And uh, we got Micah and another buddy. And so we all showed up at the Notre Dame game. They had a good game. They won. And you know, um, there are these commercial breaks that ESPN has to take every now and then. So you got like this three-minute break. And, and when that happens, the, the Notre Dame cheerleaders run out onto the floor. So here we are, four men of the church sitting in the stands. What do you do at that point? And... Um, during the routine, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I have a, a better chance of not sinning if I look somewhere else. And so I just kind of started looking around. I, I tried to look at the scoreboard, but it's got the jumbotron right there. And I'm like, that's not going to work. So I, I'm looking over here, and I'm just kind of looking up at the ceiling or whatever. I'm thinking, I probably, I'm, am I being legalistic, you know, and... 
what do people think? They're just like, I don't even wonder what my friends think here. And I'm the pastor, and they're probably thinking these. Now I've got to look away or whatever. And then right next to me, I hear the friend that invited me to the game. He says, you know, they've changed these LED lights since the last time I've been here. I'm like, dude, you're not looking either. Knuckle bump, you know? The NIV translation, translate this verse this way. Don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. Because that's how serious God takes this subject. And because He wants you to experience in all of its fullness, all of its power, He doesn't want you to kill love. Number five, when sex becomes an idol of my worship, sex kills love. It's interesting here in verse Five, it mentions an idolater. What's it, is he talking about idolatry? I thought he was talking about immorality. Do you see he makes the connection? What is an idol? An idolater is someone who worships a created thing rather than the creator. And if you have a sex problem, you have a worship problem. You are so fixated on God's creation, you are missing out on the Creator. You're an idolater. You love sex more than you love God. And you've become an idolater. That's when sex kills love. And then number six, sex kills love when sexual sin excludes me from God's kingdom. Sirius is a heart attack right now. Did you see what it says there? In verse 5, here's the warning. You can be sure of this. No question, God hasn't changed His position on this. God hasn't weakened His standard. You can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. You get it? Sexual immorality invites the wrath of God. There will be some people in hell because they would not repent of sexual immorality. That's how serious this is. Now, does that mean that if you've ever stepped out of bounds in this area, you're going to hell? No. It may make your life feel like hell. We've already talked about how every sin can be forgiven, but you have to, have to bring your sexuality under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You can't say, I want heaven and I want unbridled sex in this lifetime and have them both. If you refuse to submit to Jesus as king of your sex life, you will forfeit God's kingdom in the next life. Serious is a heart attack. Eternal consequences for those who will not give up this sin. They would rather have sex in this life than heaven in the next. And then this. Sex kills love when I walk with the wrong partners. Look at verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. 
We've already said the world is doing you no favors in this area. Hollywood wants to partner with you. Your friends at school want to partner with you. There will be boys and girls, men and women that want to be sexual partners with you. Don't partner with them. That doesn't mean you have to live alone. You will either by default choose the wrong partners or you will with intention choose the right partners. Here's the good news. We're creating an environment at Harvest Bible Chapel of people who want to get this area right. If you're a single person here, this is a community where, you know what, we're all headed in the same direction on this. And we're going to get this right. We're going to honor God with our sex lives. And we're not going to kill love. We want to experience both in God's timing and the right context. If you're a married person here today and you've stepped out of bounds in this area and there's flirting going on or there's an emotional affair or a physical affair or maybe you've got a, a, a porn thing that's hooked your heart. Listen, this is a place where you have partners that are going to help you. Get this right. And your best partner is the one with whom you are in covenant relationship. For some of you, you need to get honest about where you're at in this area with your marriage partner. There's, there's others of you that have dating partners or sexual partners, and the application of this message is you need to break that relationship today. Do not be partners with them be partners with us. And let's all get it right together. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I said at the beginning of this message, some people need to hear a word of grace. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. There's grace. There's fresh starts. New beginnings. Why? Because Christ loves you so much. He gave Himself for sexual sinners like you and me. And if you will confess and repent and trust Christ for forgiveness today, He stands ready to forgive, to heal, to restore, to renew, no matter what's happened. Some of you need a word of warning. You are so far out of bounds on this. And you know in the quietest moments, it's killing you. It's killing your relationship with God. It's killing your relationship with others. Today you need to repent. Maybe today for the first time, you say, you know what? I've really never submitted my sexuality to Christ as King. Right here, right now. Why don't you tell Him that? Lord, I'm bringing all of that under Your Lordship. I, I, I don't want to miss out on Your kingdom. I want You as my King. I've been an idolater. I've worshipped the creation rather than the Creator. And God, I've missed out on so much you want to give to me. I'm going to pray right now. Would you just pray along with me? Father, today, thank you for your word. 
Even in your word, you said that we're to replace all this sexual immorality with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for your plan. Thank you for my gender. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for this church, for partners. I want to partner with me to honor you. And Lord, today, I ask you to give me fresh forgiveness. Purify my heart. Together, Mike is going to lead us in a song. It's really a prayer.